I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Please take your seats quickly, ladies and gentlemen. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to The Passing Shot with Joel and Kim, supported by DownloadTennis.com on today's Wimbledon Finals catch-up. Ash Barty topples Pliskova to win her second Grand Slam title. Djokovic joins the 20 Slam club with victory over Matteo Berrettini. And Neil Skupski becomes a Wimbledon champion. Kim, Wimbledon finals weekend has come and gone. We have got a lot of things to catch up on from over the weekend. We had the men's final yesterday, Novak Djokovic versus Matteo Berrettini. We had the ladies final on Saturday, Ash Barty versus Karolina Pliskova. We've had wheelchair doubles. We have had men's doubles. We've had ladies doubles. We've had juniors as well. So there's lots of lots of talking points uh, for us to discuss But before we kind of get into all that, we must address the elephant in the room. The reason why we are recording today and, you know, we need to mention some a football match that did happen yesterday. I'm a bit, you know, I'm still a bit kind of sad. I'm still feeling a little bit vulnerable from it. But I think let's let's just agree to kind of mention it once and never again for the rest of the episode. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I think we were both rather the worse for wear yesterday. <laughs> Definitely wouldn't have been able to record and talk about tennis uh, with all that going on. And yeah, I think we're still getting over the disappointment that was inevitably going to happen at some point. Uh, and yeah, f- football has not come home, but that 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 is that is it. It's got it's gone to Rome instead. And I, at least Matteo Berrettini will you know will have softened the blow of, of his loss earlier in the day. I, I'm sure. Um, for, you know, from Italy winning the Euros. That was a pretty impressive, uh, you know, move, I think, from Berrettini. He, he, he literally, he did not kind of dwell on his defeat, did he? He was like, right, get me to get me to Wembley. And there were lots of, there were lots of smiles from him there. So he wasn't really, I think, sort of too caught up in, uh, yeah, losing, losing to Djokovic. A comfortable Djokovic victory, I think it's fair to say, Joel. He, he came through in four sets, six, seven, six, four, six, four. Six three, um, almost three and a half hours on court. I mean, he's now got his twentieth slam, his sixth Wimbledon. He's won three Wimbledon's, Wimbledons in a row. I mean, he's just breaking records left, right, and centre, and you know, c- c- continuing to cement his name in in the history books and the record books. And I mean, for me, this final was. I guess very much what I expected. I thought, oh, if Berrettini is going to set, he's probably going to grab it on a tie break, but can't see him really able to make too many inroads on the Novak serve or it you know it, it just very much felt extremely par for the course Joel I, d- I don't know I don't know if you got the same impression I'm, I'm sure you did <laughs> yeah I mean perhaps the, the biggest surprise was that first set with Djokovic having that break serving for it and you know he was what 5-2 up and then it went to a, a tie break that was perhaps the biggest the biggest shock, I think, in the, you know, the whole match. And it was really impressive stuff, I think, for Berrettini, who, 
you know, did show, you know, a few, a few signs of nerves, I think, but, you know, managed to kind of grow into that first set and didn't let it kind of escape from him. And for Djokovic to be there or thereabouts and, no, not necessarily be playing his his best tennis. I think it was a, you know, I really think that first set was an almost a, a, a wake me up for for Djokovic in the sense that he was probably playing at about you know sixty sixty five percent. And I think you know the fact that he lost that first set sort of you know for me was a bit of a wake up call for him, saying to himself, I'm not going to be able to kind of coast through this final not playing my best tennis and come out a Grand Slam champion. Yeah, I mean, Novak did get off to quite a nervy start. I think there was a couple of double faults in, you know, his first two service games. And it's a shame that Berrettini wasn't more relaxed himself because he was also feeling very edgy to begin with, you know, as you would expect your first Grand Slam final. And it, you know, I thought he really you needed to have capitalized on an edgy start from Novak because you don't get that very often. And you know, that's not going to last. That, that was probably, you know, very, <laughs> very short lived. Um, so for Berrettini to actually have broken back, you know, he had that really long game at 5-2 down. I think Novak had a set point. Berrettini, I think it was about 13 or 14 minutes long and managed to come through it, break back take it to a tie break and then, you know, win on the tie break. Um, that was, you know, for me, I guess, uh, essential for Berrettini, of course. I think if he'd have gone and set down, you know, yeah, no chance. But you, you kind of just knew it was going to be a formality and like regulation after that. You just felt that with Berrettini winning that tie break, he had angered, he had angered the beast or, or he had angered the wolf inside Novak Djokovic. <laughs> and he just yeah. grew, he just grew and grew into the match because... You know, with sets two, three and four, it was it was sort of like him going up an early break and then being able to being able to kind of see out his his serving. But, um, you know, it was, it, I think it was interesting that that tie break because, you know, we've spoken about in the past Djokovic's tie break record. I think in, in previous seasons has been pretty strong, but this season has been, you know, not as good. And again, I wondered here whether, you know, it was it was sort of. I, it was a, it was still a little bit tentative. I felt that with Djokovic, he was still sort of waiting and and waiting for his opponent to make the unforced errors, waiting for them to you know dump the you know their ground straights into the net. And he was asking the questions of, of Berrettini, but I think what he wasn't he was obviously you know surprised by I think the fact that that Berrettini was able to answer those questions and you know, take the initiative in that tie break and come through it. So I felt like Djokovic maybe needed to kind of change up his approach kind of midway through that tie break, kind of when he kind of realised it wasn't kind of going his way and perhaps be a little bit more aggressive and not just assume your uh, your opponent is just going to, you know, hand you the the, the set because that didn't happen. But, you know, in the end, it di- it didn't really matter. And as soon as he kind of lost that tie break, Berrettini, it probably had taken him a lot of, you know, a lot of effort for him coming back from 5-2 down to win it. Maybe that was Djokovic's moment to be like, right, I'm going to take a stranglehold on that second set and really kind of not look back. And I think that's really kind of what happened with the, you know, that that break of serve so early on um, in the second set. Yeah, I mean, he went four love up, so had two breaks, which... Mm was very important because Berrettini did manage to get one of them back and you sort of thought oh could we have a repeat of the first set (laughs) but it's just going two breaks breaks down immediately it's just so not ideal and then similar thing in the third set kind of you know early break and then at the fourth I think it was kind of like two three all and then he broke so yeah it's I mean 
Djokovic, you know, you have got to obviously give him credit. He he was he's just the best player in the world. You know, um, he's better on on pretty much every element of the game, bar you know a massive first serve. And you know, Berrettini's serve like kept him in it really because if he hadn't have had that weapon, you sort of think, oh, he wouldn't really have had anything to to really be able to control any elements of the match. Um, however, you know even despite a big serve, Novak being the best returner was able to neutralise the serve a lot of the time and, and get a lot more balls back, obviously, than most other players would be able to. So it's it's really, you know, Berrettini's, you know, big servers are only big servers to a certain extent when it comes to Djokovic. It was quite clear, you know, with the Djokovic game plan that he was really going to focus on you know, once he was able to kind of get that ball back in play and and you did feel like he was reading the serve better and better as the match went on. But once the, those rallies came, he really was kind of focusing on the, uh, you know, the Berrettini backhand and, and really asking a lot of different questions, I think, of, of that shot. You know, we've spoken about the fact that that is a very much an improved shot. On the, on the Berrettini, you know, in, in the Berrettini repertoire, but there's still a lot of work to be done there. And I thought it was interesting to pick up on, on some analysis, particularly of, you know, Djokovic and his serve and the fact that he was going towards the, you know, the double handed backhand of Berrettini on the second, on his second serve. And although the speed, the speed was down, which kind of commentators were sort of picking up on the fact that it was, there was no pace on it and it was almost asking Berrettini what what could you do with this and he really couldn't do a lot with it he really couldn't wasn't able I think to add a little bit of pace on it and and start the you know the point on his own terms and that sort of played into kind of Djokovic's hand and you know he played I think there were over 50% of his return placement to that backhand side across the first serve and second serve return from Djokovic. So it was to be expected. And I think that was a big weakness, I think, that that Djokovic was really looking to exploit. And you know, unfortunately, I think for Berrettini, you can't just rely on winners in the form of aces and booming forehands to, you know, to win you matches against the, the very best. You're gonna need to get another source of, of winning points and when that, if that is coming through unforced errors, well, against Djokovic, you're not, he wasn't getting, he wasn't getting very many of them. And again, I think that was uh, the reason why, you know, this match didn't go to five sets or it didn't end up in a Berrettini victory is because he the, simply, the only way he was winning points really, you felt was kind of on his, on his serve with those big aces or it was with winners. But any, any other sources, it just wasn't, it just wasn't really apparent. Absolutely. I mean, and we saw this in the women's final as well, you know, versatility and um, not having an obvious weakness and just being able to to control the play from, from all parts of the court and on, on any side, you know, it, it just, you know, you, you cannot have, yeah, such a, a divergence, I think, between your forehand and backhand if you want to be winning slams, not when you've got players like Novak Djokovic when you've got the big three still around. Like, I'm sure Berrettini would have won this final against pretty much any other player, um, you know, bar the big three. But I just think, and I, I think he will be a future Wimbledon champion if he plays this well and will surely only improve should, you know, but I think he's still going to re- have to rely on Djokovic not being there, um, you know, because I still think it's going to take several years for him to to get up to that level and to develop his backhand mm. enough to avoid, you know, what we've just been discussing. 
it's interesting you talk about that versatility because we know Djokovic's game is is very much built on the fact that there are no glaringly kind of obvious weaknesses. Mm. Um, but you talk about grass courts and, you know, decade ago, you could feasibly win Wimbledon with a really good serve mm. and, you know, really good serve and a really good volley. You know, we saw that with you know, Goran Ivanisevic, for example, you know, Pete Sampras, massive serve, looked always, you know, to come to the net. But it feels very much now that you you need that different shot selection in order to, you know, in order to win Wimbledon, you know, and maybe kind of Berrettini, if he was a player who was growing up, you know, in that era of the, you know, the 90s, early 2000s, you know, maybe we would be talking about him as a player who easily could win, you know, mul- maybe multiple, multiple Wimbledons based on the fact that he's got a very, very good serve, very, very big forehand and that could arguably get the job done against most players. But the fact that kind of, I think grass courts have changed and, you know, we've seen that, we've seen that in terms of the rally length. It's asked, I think, a lot more in terms of the, you know, the repertoire that players have to bring to a court. And it really favours those players uh, who have lots of different weapons in their game. And we saw that in the ladies' fighter with Ash Barty. And I think, you know, we've seen that with, with Novak Djokovic in the way, in the style that he plays there's so many different sort of nuances to his game that he can just ask so many different questions of Berrettini. Yeah, he's got an answer for everything. And and actually, <laughs> he he won 10 years ago. It was Djokovic 10 years ago. So yeah, like 20 years ago, you could kind of rock out with a big serve. I mean, it's, it's funny, isn't it? It's all about timing and what era you're playing in and what's kind of the norm. Because if Berrettini, yeah, came on like 20 years ago, he probably would have won uh, Wimbledon, like you said. And I mean, there's still time for him to do so. He's still very young. But I do feel like now we're in this era where Novak's got a couple of years and the young guys aren't up to his level yet. And, you know, Federer's on his way out. Doesn't look likely that he'd win another slam. Rafa, there's question marks on what, you know, whether he can compete and his body and, and everything. I'm not sure what to expect, really. So I feel like Djokovic is like in the zone now with very little challenges. And it really reminds me of when Federer first started winning slams right at the start. And he was kind of in that similar zone where there really wasn't much opposition until Rafa came along and and then Novak. So it's sort of, I think, replicating that a bit. And, you know, for for fans of Djokovic, you know, they must be absolutely loving this because obviously he's won the first three slams of the year. He's on to to win the US Open, to win all four in in the year. We don't know if he's going to be playing the Olympics, but if he does, you know, highly possible he could win the gold there, get a golden slam. It's, you know, it's, I don't see an end to his dominance bar an unfortunate injury, which, you know, I think throughout his career, he's been pretty lucky with, with injuries overall compared to, you know, other players. It's interesting, isn't it? Because we're now talking about the fact that he has joined the 20 slam club. Mm. It is 20 2020 in terms of Djokovic, Federer and Nadal. It's interesting how those, I think, graphs have changed over over time. As you said, it felt like Federer very much was able to kind of capitalise on that that era pre kind of big three and and kind of rack up all those grand slams. And arguably, are, are we, you know, are we getting into an era now where, you know, rather than talking about the big three, is it is it the big one? Is this just the era of Novak Djokovic? I mean, it's a scary, you know, it's a it's a scary thought because of you know how good you know Federer and Nadal are, but it, it does feel like at the moment Djokovic is, uh, you know, he's got the most gas left in the tank, really, and as a result of that, 
are we going to see this era where he is able to sweep up all of these slams because of the you know because of the you know the the weaknesses and the the frailties i think and the vulnerabilities i think that that you know particularly federer and nadal have shown and also i think the fact that you know the other players are just not ready i think to you know that make the that that step up you know we're talking about those next gen players we're talking about those players like berrettini you know sissipas on on the clay at the in the french open final you know we have medvedev as well get to that us open final um you know a few you know well, a few few us opens ago against nadal and, and the and the australian this year but you yeah know, that was disappointing he didn't do much in the final yeah this exa- year. exactly so you know there's still that there's still that gap there and although i think we kind of talk about oh yes berrettini on the grass sissipas on the clay medvedev on the hard court it's only that it feels very much only kind of like that's one moment in the season and you know with Djokovic because he's such a versatile all court surface sort of player he can just bring his game and again it just feels very much like he is the man to beat and it doesn't feel like it's going to stop anytime soon yeah i think this will be the new challenge you know the the puzzle to crack you know but how's it beat Novak Djokovic at a grand slam um you know well i think obviously it requires a lot of luck um Novak to be on a bad day uh and and yourself you know whoever's going to dethrone him to to have an absolute blinder of a match um or for some freak accident to happen like we saw at the US Open because if it hadn't been for that he probably would already have surpassed 20 slams just on that Kim I mean you speak about the fact that he needs to play a bad day but I feel like this Wimbledon we've seen him have bad you know bad days or regular days for example you know that match against Shapovalov it wasn't it wasn't the greatest but he still still came kind of came through it so again i'm sort of a bit kind of in this you know in this kind of mindset that even Djokovic on a on a normal day i think is is still able to win grand slams and i don't think i I actually don't think this wimbledon you know yes it's been memorable in the sense that this was the wimbledon that has enabled him to join the 20 slam club with roger federer and rafael nadal but I think from a performance perspective, I think we've seen a lot better tennis from him at other slams. And I don't think it's, I argue, I just don't think it's been particularly noteworthy um, Mm. in terms of that aspect. He hasn't really been challenged. I mean, Shapovalov, Mm. although Berrettini got set in the final, I would say Shapovalov was the closest um, in terms terms of the number of opportunities on the Novak serve. And yeah, like you said, Novak wasn't his best that day still managed to win in straight sets but I think if Shapovalov was you know a year from from now or perhaps would have taken more of those opportunities and could have you know perhaps taken it to five sets or something it will take time obviously a lot of these players that are up and coming and challenging are still very young and you know even Novak when he was younger in his career like you know it did take him time to get to where he is now I mean I think everyone you know, all these players will probably be, um, they're just essentially waiting for him to retire, aren't they? Because it's just until you, he does, it's, it's his big block. And I do, I do hope that some, that Novak does have genuine competition because it's not the, perhaps the most interesting when there's just one player winning literally everything. And, you know, for, for neutrals or for, for people who want a, a rivalry and, you know, more more intrigue it's not you know you're not getting that at the moment are you when it's a foregone conclusion who's going to win every tournament 
we are. I feel like we are approaching that Serena Williams <laughs> sort of level of of dominance we had, you know, in the early kind of you know twenty tens, late late two thousands, and it's again, it's it's changed. I think the the dynamic um, of you know the you know the the landscape that that we're in because over the last over the last two you know, over the last two slams, French Open and Wimbledon. We have sh- we have seen a shift. You know, we saw Nadal lose at the French Open. That happens once in a blue moon. We saw Federer lose to Hercage. Very, you know, very sad. You know, a lot of Fed fans obviously disappointed. We've seen, I think, big shifts in in relation to the you know the big three and the fact that they're all on twenty. You would sort of expect, I think, for all three of them to be at the U.S. Open. And again, it's going to add another fascinating element i think to any of those matchups that that do happen the fact that also they're not going to be they're well they're very likely not going to be you know number one number two number three seed means that we could feasibly get these matches not necessarily in finals but in in quarterfinals or or semi-finals and you know it's just going to add a little bit of spice i think to how those matches play out because that must be, you know, that must be playing on their, you know, on their minds. And although I think, you know, a lot of people see Djokovic potentially going and surpassing, you know, quite considerably, maybe even going to kind of 20, 25 slams plus. But at the moment, you know, as as long as Nadal and, and Federer are in the, you know, the main drawer of a slam, you know, they're going to be thinking, I want and I need to stop Novak Djokovic. And although they've kind of been tweeting about saying congratulations, you know, deep down, these are yeah, they are competitive guys and this is something that they're gonna want to protect, isn't it? And it's gonna add another element of intrigue, I think, to that to that US Open, that final Grand Slam of the year. Yeah, it's sort of a grin and bear at tweet, isn't it? Oh, congratulations, <laughs> not <laughs> It's it's like keeping up appearances for sake, isn't it? <laughs> I do wonder if there'll be some tennis god somewhere who's like, Right, we've got to keep them all on twenty for forever now <laughs> and They'll just be like, right, team can have this slam, Sitzbass can have that one, Zverev can have this one, and there'll be some, you know, shift. <laughs> Arguably, the, the more fascinating question is, who's going to be second? Is it going to be Federer mm. or Nadal? Because yeah. I think there's the the acceptance that, that Djokovic is going to overtake, um, you know, Federer and Nadal at some point. We sp- sort of are expecting it to be at the US Open it may not happen you know who you know Nadal could come back maybe maybe Federer comes back I'm not sure or maybe you know Dominic Team or, or Daniel Medvedev just keeps them all on 20 but it feels like at some point Novak Djokovic is going to take the outright lead and again it, it just might up, throw up different questions particularly in terms of Rafa and Roger on their seemingly kind of a little bit with as I said a little bit less in the tank who you know where 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 do where do these players kind of finish up um you know in the, in that slam tally well we don't know that in two months time we'll probably know a little more uh but we will think about that uh over the summer and i guess over the next few years all will be revealed i mean just looking at the olympics that's obviously the next big thing for djokovic now he said he's 50-50 on the olympics which has put a lot of people's uh you know idea of a golden slab for him in doubt you know, the fact that there's going to be no fans there. It sounds like there's going to be restrictions on the, the Olympic Village. He's not going to be able to, I think, be free to, you know, watch other sports, which he might, you know, like to do. So where do you stand on that? Do you think do you think he should play it if he can? Or do you think it's a bit of a big ask to him to go Wimbledon Olympics? 
US Open all in an incredibly short space of time. Well, I, I mean, I assume he's got the fitness and the, you know, the health and mm. stamina for. I don't think it would be a physical issue, but I mean, I think the if he doesn't play the Olympics, it must be because he's absolutely dead certain that he wants to get the, the the calendar slam and do all four, and that the US Open would be more important, obviously, to get twenty one slams to do that than than an Olympic gold medal. But you know, the Olympics only comes around once every four years, so. I, I don't know. If I was him, I'd still play the Olympics, but I don't think he would be that bothered by the fact that there's no crowds there. You know, he's played without crowds before. He doesn't seem like he's someone that needs to have a crowd. So not like a Kyrgios. I've got to disagree, Kim. I just think, you know, I think we know that tennis, I think players, I think much prefer slams. Yes, an Olympic medal might, you know, might be nice. And, you know, Federer will be there because you feel like he wants to, complete you know complete the set it's one thing he doesn't have but for Djokovic this might be a situation where you know he looks at he looks at maybe Nadal and Federer and the sacrifices they have made for you know for longevity purposes and you know I think for Djokovic maybe it's it's not necessarily on longevity it's maybe a potentially a risk of, of burnout um in terms of the fact that you know Nadal's not played Wimbledon Federer took you know, the clay season off, didn't play the French Open for a number of seasons. And I do wonder whether Djokovic is sort of thinking, you know, to get myself ready and prepared for the US Open is is getting a gold a bit of a a bit of a sideshow for me, or going all the way to, to Tokyo. Um, you know, we've seen other players, quite a few players in fact, drop out and again a sort of I think sort of has been showing where tennis kind of stands sorry, the Olympics sort of stands for, for tennis players. And if Djokovic does drop out, I think it will be another sort of reason. I think maybe it, the, the the Olympic committee will look at tennis and think, you know, should should it be an Olympic sport? Because the, the draws this season are, they're not going to be the fullest, are they? No, but I'm sure Federer will be over the moon if, if Novak does pull out. <laughs> no, and <laughs> Yeah, and players like Medvedev, if, if he's playing, you know, I'm sure someone like him would, absolutely sweep up the title um I mean it would make it maybe be- a bit more interesting although I think the thing is with the Olympics it's not best of five sets is it I think that's only in the final so there is more chance that someone would beat Novak over you know when it's best of three like we see him losing in master series you know so it's, it's not beyond the realms of possibility that he would go and, and lose there anyway so um uh, yeah I guess over the next few weeks we'll know because it's due to start in under two weeks so pretty much he would probably have to go almost to Tokyo straight away and in relation to that potential season golden slam I mean there's going to be motivation to do it in uh, you know in terms of historical significance the record because that is something that just does not happen very often I mean we've talked about career grand slams let alone adding a gold medal on top of it very you know very rare you know we always talk about that with kind of players like Rod Laver but it just very, very, very rarely happens on the men's side. And that might also be a motivating, motivating factor for him. Absolutely. I think, um, you know, he is, he said a few years ago that he realised the 20 slam, you know, limit, well, not limit, but, you know, <laughs> record was, was, in, was within reach. And mm. he realised that was a possibility. And I think he's been working obviously hard to achieve that over the last few years. And you've got to think that he wouldn't want to let a golden slam opportunity 
fall by the no. wayside but it's going to need a quick decision because as i said yeah <laughs> tokyo is actually just around the corner we forget that it's creeping up on us quickly so um we will be covering all of that of course in due course but um let's take a quick break now uh but do join us in the second half where we'll be looking back on the women's final with a dream come true win for ash Barty. so do not go anywhere This episode of The Passing Shot is sponsored by Manscaped, the best in men's below-the-waist grooming to ensure you can always have new balls, please. And just in time for the grass court season, Manscaped have launched their fourth-generation trimmer, the appropriately titled Lawnmower 4.0. Over lockdown, tending to my nether regions has become an important routine, including the all-important issue of ball trimming. I love the lawnmower's smooth, comfortable grooming experience that gives me next-level attention to detail. And it makes an excellent gift for a male partner, friend or family member who maybe has a bit too much ball fuzz down there. So the Lawnmower 4.0 will serve up a right treat. Use Manscaped now with our exclusive code PSPOD20 to get 20% off and free worldwide shipping at manscaped.com. That's PSPOD20. Links in the description. Your balls will thank you. This is The Passing Shot with Joel and Kim, supported by DownloadTennis.com. And now we're going to move back on to looking at the ladies final from Saturday, uh, which was quite an interesting match, Joel. I feel like this was very much, um, had lots of different chapters in it. And I, I mean, I have to say, I was sitting on the sofa and with my, my, my dad actually watching it and at various points, there were some choice swear words coming out of our mouths <laughs> at some of the tennis that was going on. Um, it was six, three, six, seven, six, three to Ash Barty. Um, you know, top seed. She's won her second Grand Slam, her first Wimbledon. This is the title that she's dreamed of, you know, for years and years and years. And she's made history for Australia because she's the first Australian woman since Yvonne Goolagong to do it in 1980. Um, so it's been a long, long old wait actually for, for Australia to, to have a Wimbledon female champion again and um, yeah this match was really I think frustrating um, from from the start for, for Karolina Pliskova fans because she was absolutely not at the races it was an awful <laughs> first set um, I'm actually surprised she managed to get three games in that first set because I don't think I've actually ever seen a player kind of turn up she at frozen you know, a slam so final badly. and yeah. yeah she couldn't move it was it was really bad it was, you know, it was get, it was getting to a point where we were talking about, oh God, is this going to be a double bagel situation like against, uh, Shviontek. like against Shviontek? Yeah. It was, she had really not started well. You could definitely see that with, particularly with her serve. You know, she, her, the serve speed was, was down and, you know, she wasn't moving particularly well. Her forehand was off the boil. And on the other side of the net, you know, Barty, I think she won the first 14 points in a row. It was, you know, I don't think I I really couldn't have believed it to be honest. I don't know what the fans were were making of it inside the the the, the court, but it felt very very one sided for those first twenty minutes. It reminded me, as well as that double big, it reminded me of of that very one sided final we had between Kvitova and Eugenie Bouchard. So again, it was a a situation, not a nice, not a great situation for Pliskova to be in. But I mean, again, it was a similar to, you know, that, that semi-final against Sabalenka. The fact that she was in a very, I think, you know, she was in a, a sort of a negative kind of situation or, you know, or a disappointing situation. You know, in that Sabalenka match, she had all those set points, 
but uh sorry she had all those break points but lost the set in that first set and here she found herself you know four love down very quickly and it was again a very impressive i think from her mental attitude to really kind of steady that ship and really kind of grow into the match. And that's what I think was so captivating about this match was, was I think the sort of the, the journey, I think that Carolina Pushkova took us on across those three sets. Yeah, I think if anyone was a neutral and watching it and didn't know who they wanted to support, it was almost like Pushkova was, you know, I think she probably gained uh, quite a few fans actually because they were probably so pleased and relieved <laughs> that she'd managed to A, get on the scoreboard to begin with, like even just winning a point because it was so one-sided. And then, you know, to be able to clinch that second set and we, you know, found ourselves into a third set. I mean, you would not have thought that was possible when she was four love down. You do not want the pity applause from the crowd no. <laughs> like 20 minutes into, a, you know, the you know ladies final. And, uh, you know, for Pliskova, I, I think, you know, it, it, it's acceptable because... You know, she's not been in this situation for for a long time. You know, the last you know, she's been in one slam final before, and that was, you know, in the US Open, you know, four or five seasons ago. And again, nerves got the better of her, but Ash Barty just started so, so well. But there were definitely kind of shifts in momentum. And again, that second set was fascinating because it could have very easily been a straight sets job for Barty. I think she served for the match. But Pushkova again was just having none of it and it was fascinating how I think the drama of this match was was down to the fact that there was just so many there was just so many breaks of serve yeah exactly and you often find that more in the in the women's game and so you you can never quite rule someone out and you can never quite be sure that someone's going to serve out a set um we saw that also in the Barty Kerber semi-final when yeah Kerber served for the second set Barty broke back um I mean but Ash Barty, you know, was was amazing because she weathered that kind of really up and down storm. And every time, you know, you felt that Pliskova might be sort of really getting into it, maybe could like really step it up a gear. Barty was just able to peg her back and she wasn't able to let her kind of generate too much momentum to kind of topple Barty's game plan and focus. And, you know, all credits Barty because she was very strong. She started so, so well. She, she, did seem a little bit nervous at times, as as you would expect anyone to at times in a Grand Slam final. But, you know, she could have, you know, it was kind of the complete opposite, really. Barty has been in two Slam finals now. She's won both. Um, she's so much more, like, relaxed and, and composed, isn't she? And, and you know, that's not just her mental attitude. You know, her, her game's a lot more versatile than Pliskova. Um, I think that was kind of plainly obvious, you know, with the slice as well. Pliskova was also struggling to deal with that like every player has this fortnight and um yeah I mean I'm I'm really pleased for Ash Barty and and everyone back in Australia like she she was the best player um obviously on, on the final and, and you know throughout the whole two weeks and um you know it obviously means a great deal to her and I think it's remarkable actually what she's been able to do over the last few years because I think I've, I've seen a few stats going around that you know since she came back after that sort of two-year hiatus where she was off playing cricket she's um she's come back and percentage-wise she's um got the highest percentage of finals reached per tournament played she's won more titles than any other player you know two slams she's been world number one for kind of over a year now so she's really kind of cementing her status in the game and this i think will this this tournament this slam win will be particularly special because of the you know the setback she you know suffered at the french open and again it came to light that her team had withheld kind of information with regards to her, you know, her injury. 
so that you know they could just kind of get on and and get her at Wimbledon. I don't think you know if if you know, she was ruled by all the you know the medical experts back home in Australia, I think they would have told her don't play Wimbledon. So I really do think this was a almost kind of a miracle um, that you know we've ended up as as Ash Barty as the winner, and and maybe the fact that she came into this with probably very little expectation given the you know the lack of matches she had had the you know that injury as well sort of inhibiting her kind of practice uh practice time on court maybe that potentially kind of you know freed her up and I think what was impressive was that third set in terms of she again didn't let the you know the disappointment of losing that second set having served from it having been so close to you know for realizing a dream she just sort of got back and was able to to reset and you know once she kind of took that uh took that break in the the third was able to kind of see it through so again very very impressive victory from her and I think it'll be one that you know she will hold very close to her because she has spoken about in the past how special Wimbledon has you know is for her as a tournament and there's you know there's a lot of kind of context here with regards to you know I guess the fact that as I said, this is this is a, a lifelong ambition that she has achieved. But also in terms of, you know, as you rightly kind of pointed out, the context of Australian tennis and, you know, 50 years on becoming a singles ladies champion after Yvonne Goulgong. Yeah, and obviously her outfit was reminiscent of the one that Yvonne mm. Goulgong um, wore when she won it, and I think, 71 um, and then Gulagong last one in, in 80. She had quite a big gap between her titles. But, um, I think also, um, you know, we've, we've seen a sort of a shift in the type of players that are now winning Wimbledon, you know, with Simona Halep, like two years ago, Ash Barty. They play very differently to kind of the, the old fashioned, like, like slamming it down as hard as possible kind of power era of Serena and Venus. So we're starting to see a different sort of type of player. Uh, kind of perhaps start to dominate at Wimbledon. Um, obviously, there are a lot of very powerful players out there like Sabalenka, and to, uh, who I mean she will probably be, uh, you know, potentially will win it in the next couple of years. Who knows? But it's interesting, you know, it shows that you, you know, there are various different ways of being on a tennis court. And, you know, just because you hit the hardest, that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to, um, to win, of course. Yeah, and what's what's fascinating about that is that we've had two probably very similar matchups in the last two ladies finals. You know, we had Halep versus Serena Williams and Ash Barty versus Karolina Pliskova. And again, Karolina Pliskova hits a very, you know, she hits a very flat ball. You know, we've we've spoken about I think the fact that her game is very much suited to a grass court and this was, you know, even her reaching the final felt a little bit, you know, long time overdue. But again, it does show you that that variety I think is sort of trumping that it's sort of trumping that power at the moment. And those kind of counter punches like Simona Halep and Ash Barty, where power isn't necessarily the number one thing, you know, you would talk about in in regards to their game are, you know, are the ones who are ending up as the, the champions, which again, it's a fascinating, it's a fascinating, I think, comment uh, on, on how grass court tennis has changed over, you know, the last few decades and you know, moving on from, you know, where the rallies were shorter, where you could rely on a, you know, a big serve to, to do the damage. And because the rallies have got longer, that has opened up, I think, the, you know, the opportunity for players like Ash Barty, like Simona Halep. And I think that's a reason why we can sort of look at Ash Barty and think, you know, she is going to be a contender, I think, for Wimbledon 
for years to come. And, you know, it will be, I would love to see a Simona Halep Ash Barty match on a, on a centre court at Wimbledon one day, because I think that could be a very, <laughs> that could be a very uh, fascinating proposition. But, you know, at the moment, it, it does feel like those, as I said, those counterpunches are really, are really the ones that are ending, you know, the two weeks, you know, with their, with their name on the trophy. I would also love to see peak Barty against peak Serena. I think that'd mm. be great. But probably not going to see it, to be honest. I mean, uh, one thing Ash Barty does need to work on is her movement up to the player's box uh, oh, after yeah, the match. Yeah. It was, that was dreadful. It was like, I was going to go up here, but it didn't, it looked quite dodgy. Actually, you know, you probably wouldn't, you wouldn't want to like choreograph that before the match, would you? I think no, yeah. I think that's overthinking it to to do that in advance. <laughs> that's tempting fate. But I do wonder that they're not going to do themselves an injury with trying to mm. cli- climb yeah. up to the uh, boxes. Maybe Wimbledon need to highlight to, to both players. If you are thinking about uh, climbing up to the players' box, this is the this is our recommended route. <laughs> yeah, health and safety. <laughs> or they might do it. You know, they someone will come away with like a Kvitova style like freak injury. Yes. Well, that's what um, I'm worried about. That's what I'm worried about. Yeah, I mean, well, she was obviously trying to be a, you know, go go and replicate Pat Cash in uh, the 80s, wasn't she? But I mean, I loved it when Rafa won in 2008. He just sort of walked across the top of that thing over to like the king and queen in the royal box. But um, yes, I mean, it was, it's been, um, they've both been very interesting finals for different reasons. I think, you know, the fact that we've had the top seeds winning both, that, that probably doesn't actually happen very often or hasn't happened very often in the women's, in, in, you know, in the women's, yeah, in the women's event, to be honest, having the top seed actually win it. So, um, I thought that was quite refreshing in a way. They did go to the form book and we did have, you know, a lot of the top seeds up there. Um, but, I have no idea what's going to happen at the US Open, Joel, for the women's game. I don't think we should. I don't think this means that, you know, Ash Barty is suddenly hot favourite for the US Open. I mean, for one thing, you would think that Naomi Osaka will be back for them. So she's going to have something to say about that for sure. And I think that'd be quite interesting. You know, Osaka, queen of the hard courts against Barty. Um I think, you know, that would be a very interesting matchup if we get it. And it'll be interesting to see how Pliskova kind of continues with her season because she's got, you know, Sasha Bayan, like she's had this big breakthrough. And I hope, you know, I hope it's not a flash in the pan. Like she's back into the top 10 again where she wants to be and where she does belong. And, you know, it will be, yeah, interesting to see if perhaps, you know, at the Olympics, she could be someone to, to really look out for. The, the nature of her game, that that flat style, it's gonna it works well on you know on a hard court. You know, she's reached the US Open final before, so again, I, I'm interested to see how her you know development goes. And I think the big takeout for Pliskova this week has been that I think mental toughness that that mental I think responsiveness she's shown. I think particularly in those big matches against Sabalenka and in this final has been really impressive. But there definitely feels like there's things to work on in terms of showing up from the first point and not um you know not you know having getting having the occasion get to you because I think I think the occasion maybe did get to Pliskova a little bit more than than Barty and the fact that I think that Barty is very you know she's very quiet on the court you know she's not very emotional there are no kind of screams or, or shouts there might be a the odd kind of come on but uh she likes to I think very much keep it you know under under wraps and I think that certainly helped her you know, play the occasion a bit better. Yeah, I mean, and I, I have to say, if you were a, a ticket holder on Saturday, I thought, 
you had mm. a, the, probably the best day's play um, because the two doubles finals that came after the women's final were fantastic. Uh, the women's doubles final, which was Kudermatova and Vashnina against Mertens and, and oh, Shea. What a match. No, oh, this was amazing. 9-7 <laughs> in the third. Mertens and Shea came through. Um, they were 6-3, 5-3 down. They were match points down. And yet they managed to pull off... Um, Pull, pull it off. I mean, I, don't, I wouldn't say it's an upset because they were the, the the third seeds, but you know, I think in that third set as well, Kudermatova and Vashina served for it. Um, I think they actually both served for it earlier on, and then you know, eventually it was it was nine seven. Um, but yeah, absolutely fantastic match. Meant the men's double started pretty late, but I mean, yeah, anyone who had a ticket would be delighted with what they saw. Kim, I have forgotten. Vashina's grunt sound is it's an odd sound. It's like two. It's like two sounds in one. That was my that was my sort of main takeout watching Vegina back on the court. But yeah, it was uh, it was an absolutely gripping match. I was surprised that you know it wasn't a straight sets victory. You know, I think particularly earlier on, Sue Shea's serve was just getting taken apart by Kudamatova and and Vezhnina. So you know, for them to kind of pull it back and and win was very very impressive. You know, I think there are obviously silver linings. I think. I think Kudamatova and, and Vezhnina, I think they'll be very happy with how it's gone with you know the Olympics coming up, being from the same country. But yeah, it was just a day, I think, that... It was a day that I think that, yeah, doubles really kind of impressed, I think. And I, I think that was really important, particularly on that day, because, you know, we've had a few, I think, times in the past where it's become a bit... You know, the ladies' finals have been finished in an hour or so, and, and not many people kind of stuck around for the you know, the doubles, but, you know, because this match was so compelling, it was great to kind of see, you know, all the fans in the crowd kind of just, just lapping it up. Absolutely. And, you know, I love doubles and it's often is, you know, a bit more fun and uh, engaging. Mm. So it's, it's a shame that crowds don't stay around, you know, longer usually, but um, I mean, just a word on Elise Mertens because she's now uh, number one in doubles again. Um, So she's kind of gone back up to, to number one and, and like she's won slams with Sabalenka, of course. And so it's nice that she's won with her new partner, Siwe Shea. Um, and actually, you know, they have a habit of, of losing from having match points themselves. So it's quite nice for them to have done the reverse uh, this time around. And Siwe Shea obviously has won this title, I think, twice before. And she, she won it with Strichkova two years ago. So she, um, yeah, absolutely fantastic. You can see why Burton's continues and wants to play doubles i feel like she's probably more confident in winning a grand slam doubles title than a grand slam singles title but uh, yeah i'd I'd still like to see mertens go all in on on singles because i do think there are opportunities there for her in the future but maybe they're a little bit hampered if she's going to be going really really deep in in the doubles competition we saw with sabalenko she's you know she has made inroads you know, she's had a you know very memorable kind of two weeks getting to the you know first semi final at a Grand Slam. So maybe Mertens will look at that and maybe sort of recalibrate things. Who knows? Um, but yeah, very very impressive stuff from the uh, the number three seeds. Or they'll all be trying to do a Krichichkiver and just win both. Just win, yeah. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> as you do. Um, but yeah, the men's doubles final was also I thought fantastic. Which um, yeah, I mean they got it done before a potential termination at 11 p.m because if it had gone to a fifth set they would have had to have stopped I guess which would have been a bit ridiculous in the middle of a grand slam final but um yeah Nikola Metic and Matej Pavic top seeds 
big favourites. They did come through against Granollers and Zabios. Six four seven six two six seven five. See, Joel, I was so impressed with Granollers and Zabios, and I know we were saying, "Oh, it's the Spanish and Argentinian. What are they doing in a Wimbledon <laughs> final?" And I was like, "I'm eating my words because they were really, really good." Mm. And I mean, they very easily could have taken it to a fifth set. Oh, absolutely. Um, they did so well in that third set um, to just kind of bring it back. And I mean, yeah, I, I've been, I was just very impre- impressed. I've seen Granollers before when he used to play with Mark Lopez, but they used to always do pretty poorly on the grass. So I think he's managed to <laughs> to turn it around. And um, yeah, they they really made a match of it because this could have been, you know, regulation three sets. So I was very pleased for um for them and it was nice to have a Spaniard in, in a Wimbledon final <laughs> but I mean full credit to Metic and Pavic because they've been like the team of the season and it's nice that they've actually got, got a slam together and I think you know they said this in their post-match um, interview but it was you know 20 years since Ivan Izovic won so um, you know as they're all Croatians it's um, nice for them to kind of win on the I guess 20 he years on. <laughs> he kind of been too far away with uh, you know in the, in the Djokovic camp. Um, yeah exactly. But- but yeah, we also had the mixed doubles final and we had a Briton win, a single Briton. It wasn't, yeah, it wasn't not a double Briton. Not a double Briton job. No, it was Neil Skupski and Desiree Krawczyk. Uh, they won the mixed doubles title. They beat Joe Salisbury, Harriet Dart, 6-2-7-6 in the final. Quite a interesting context to this match, Kim. We already spoke about it on our previous round by round. The fact that Joe Salisbury chose Harriet Dart over Desiree Krawczyk um, for the mixed doubles at Wimbledon, despite them winning the French Open uh, mixed doubles title together. But yeah, Neil Skupski is now a, a, a Grand Slam Grand Slam champion. I mean, Krawczyk must be like, oh, I, I will win regardless of who I'm partnered with. And, <laughs> yeah. you know, shame on you for dropping me because I've just gone and beaten you. Um, but yeah, no, I think it was a very, a match played in very good spirit. Obviously, they all know each other probably very well. And um, I think, you know, I was kind of cheering for Joe and Harry because I thought, oh, you know, they they would be the first all British pair to win, I think, since 87 uh, to win the mixed doubles. But, you know, Neil Skupski, this is his first slam title. So, you know, and he's been on the scene for years, you know, in the doubles. So it's really nice for him to kind of win Wimbledon. Like, you know, this is the one title that above all, you know, Brits want to win. So, um, yeah, that was a kind of win-win situation really in, in the mixed doubles. And, um, yeah, another entertaining match. Um, we also did have some more British winners though, Joel, because we had, um, Alfie Hewitt and Gordon Reed winning the wheelchair doubles final. And we also had Jordan Wiley winning the ladies wheelchair doubles with, um, Yuiji Kamiji, her, um, her partner. They did beat Lucy Shuko, uh, who was on the other side of the net. But, uh, you know, we, we had so we had two Brits in that as well. Um, but yeah, more British success. Um, Gordon Reed also got to the final in the wheelchair singles, lost to Gerard. So, um, you know, decent tournament for Gordon as well. Um, and then I guess we had a few junior events as well, um, which oh, actually no, we had. Spanish win. Yes. A Spanish win in the girls yes. singles. I yes. mean, that, that was, was inc- that was incredibly, that was incredibly that was an incredibly odd final, actually. It was two six six four six one. It was a lot of like slice. There was a lot of slice going on, I think, at the start. But Anne, I'm probably going to say this. I'm going to apologise in advance. My Spanish is not great. Kim, please correct me if I'm saying this wrong. Anne Mitegi del Olmo, 17 years old from Spain. Uh, she won against Nastasia Schunk for the girls' title. So very, very, very impressive. I. I you know, Kim, I'm always like South American, Spanish player. They don't know how to play on grass, but I feel like this year they've they've 
they have shut the door on that conversation. Even though we've not got Rafa there, yeah, we've got a we've got a we've got a we've got a girls champion. We also have some little Rafas in the boys doubles. We we had uh, <laughs> uh, I don't know the first name, apologies, but Manthanera Petusa, who was playing with a I think a Lithuanian partner, beating another Spaniard in the on the other <laughs> side of the net, Rincon, and uh, oh, I'm not sure what flag that is. Might be. Some Egypt, I'm not sure. I'm looking at a really small flag on the screen, so apologies. <laughs> but yeah, so there were some Spaniards in the boys' doubles final. Um, and the boys' singles actually went to an American. It was an all-American final. Banerjee won in straight sets. So perhaps look out for those names in, what, five years' time? Six years? We'll see. Interesting one on that junior boys final is is banji although american has in indian roots with him so um mm. yeah he's got he was he was acknowledging that in his um in the kind of trophy presentation afterwards but yeah definitely uh good a good um showing from the american juniors to make an, an all-american final at wimbledon but kim we gotta before we kind of wrap up on our wimbledon coverage we need to talk about collector set because mm. we do have a winner we do. And yeah, uh, we have one winner because we had a tiebreaker as per. So um, massive congratulations to at Big Bods one on Twitter. Uh, he was our winner. Uh, he managed to, to to come the closest on our tiebreak question and um, got three right from the collector set. So a very special passing shot mug will be <laughs> on its way out to Big Bods. Um, but thank you to everyone who took part and came ever so close as well because there were quite a few people who were weren't far away um so yeah massive well done and we also had a tournament go on in hamburg the wta 250 event which was going on during the second week of wimbledon and we had a bit of an upset we had qualifier elena gabriella Rus uh defeat former world number nine andrea pekovic seven six six four to lift her maiden wta trophy uh i mean kim i'm not gonna lie i've not did not watch any of this any of this final but that sounds like a pretty pretty good result for a qualifier i was sort of expecting maybe some sort of surprise story to break out in an event that's happening during a grand slam but uh yeah very impressive nonetheless yeah, and the third qualifier this season to win a WTA mm. title after Torsen and Samsonova. So, yeah, um, it's just uh, another, you know, it's like anyone can, literally anyone can win uh, any tournament these days. She obviously wasn't a fan of the, the Petco dance, was she? She was like, I don't no. want to see, I don't want to see the Petco dance at the final. So I'm going to beat you. Yeah, and in, you know, Petkovic's home country as well. So, um, yeah, no, great, great for Roos uh, and uh, a Romanian tennis. So, um, yeah, and we've got loads of tournaments happening this week. We've got Hamburg again um, for the men. We've got uh, Newport out in America on grass. We've got Budapest event on clay, Lausanne on the clay, Prague on the hardcore, Bastard on the clay. I mean, it's it's never ending, Joel, but it's on all surfaces. So, I'm losing track of what, who's playing where and on what court. <laughs> if only there was a tennis podcast that did some sort of catch-up uh, service to uh, to keep everyone up to date. Um, no, um, yeah, I'm really actually looking forward to having Newport back because that wasn't um, that has been uh, not been played for a couple of seasons, and it's such a it's such an odd tournament, isn't it? Grass court after Wimbledon uh, in America. Um, so yeah, I'm looking forward to see how that goes in Hamburg. Yes. Uh, the ATP 500 event. So 
Um, there's going to be some, I think, some interesting results out there. I think Sissipas has taken a wild card, and I think is the the top seed. He's also Kim. I've got to say, he's also got a wild card with his brother into the doubles as well. Shock horror. That's absolutely classic. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I wanted them to uh, to go on a run at a Grand Slam doubles event. You know, both Sissipas, but I don't think they're quite there oh, yet. But well, we'll see. Um, we'll see. But- we will be back uh, at the end of, of the week. Um, and I mean, Joel, just, just one thing before we go, which is quite, I guess this is quite cool. Naomi Osaka's got a Barbie doll. Uh, <laughs> a Barbie role model. I just had Naomi to put this Osaka into the script. Doll. Yeah, I just had to put this into the script. <laughs> Listeners, just search Naomi Osaka Barbie doll to have a look at it. What are your, what are your thoughts on it? Just on the, the image of it. She has said, she has tweeted, fun fact, the doll is wearing my outfit from the 2020 Australian Open, lol. I like the little Yonix racket. Like, it's quite quite cute. She's got, like, the, you know, visor racket and, yeah. It quite matches the outfit, doesn't it? Um, yeah. I love how, like, the hair, the hair is, like, organised on the, on the left photo that she's tweeted. And then on the right photo, it's just, like, a bit more, like, frizzled out. <laughs> I mean, Barbies are, you know, going strong. I, I cleared my old Barbies from the 90s out, which I for some reason still had. And um, yeah, there's a lot of interest in Barbies still. But I wonder if they'll make a like an action man, like Raph and Adal <laughs> figure. Oh, that would be amazing. <laughs> we we should petition that. We should petition that. Um, but yeah. yeah, no, I mean, it is for a serious, it is kind of for a serious cause. You know, Sakura has been talking about that. She hopes this is a kind of a reminder for every child that they can be and do anything. So there is a, there is a serious message there. But listeners, have a look it's quite uh yeah it's quite interesting maybe we should buy one for for passing shot uh hq we <laughs> we'll we'll see but um yeah listeners i hope you've enjoyed listening to this finals round by round catch up with the passing shot honestly uh we have so much fun and pleasure kind of talking about tennis from the fan perspective particularly when it comes you know fast and furious during the the grand slams and i hope you've enjoyed listening to us over the, the last couple of weeks uh with our wimbledon coverage remember if you want to stay up to date on all things tennis Uh, Going back onto the ADP and WTA regular tours, make sure to subscribe to us on your podcasting platform of choice, whether that's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, CastBox, Stitcher, wherever you listen to your podcast, we will be there. So make sure you subscribe to us and you can also listen to us on the DownloadTennis.com app. And finally, if you have been enjoying listening to the show and you want to help the show out, you can do so on Apple Podcasts. Just make sure to leave us a rating and comment. And you can follow us also on social media. We're on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook at Passing Shot Pod. So if you don't already, then do give us a follow and a subscribe and a like. And you can contact us on all those social channels as well if you have any questions or queries or feedback, because we love to hear from all of our, all of our listeners um, and know your thoughts about what's going on in the tennis world. And there has been an awful lot going on of late. Uh, and there will be over the summer as well, of course. So um, <laughs> do keep it all coming. Uh, you can also reach us via email passingshotpod at gmail.com and we will be back we will actually be back midweek we are going to be launching a new series we're going to be launching what we're going to be calling the book club 
And we are going to be finishing up our Wimbledon coverage with a chat with author Abby Smith about her latest book, Wimbledon's Greatest Games. Uh, Me and Kim have got a copy of it. We've been reading it over the last uh, couple of weeks. So we're really kind of looking forward to talking to Abby about that one. Lots of different matches to discuss. So I hope you can join us for that. We're going to probably put that out uh, midweek, either on Wednesday, probably on Thursday, actually. And then we are going to be back for our regular tour catch up hopefully on sunday evening going to be digesting those all those tournaments we just spoke about um in our kind of regular tour catch up format so i hope you can join us for that and we will see you again soon 